Thank you so much to uh, our young people for helping us this morning uh, with those readings. Uh, you can follow that along in your order of service. If you'd like to sort of cast your eyes to it, you may find it helpful. The Beatles famously once sung, all you need is love. There's nothing you can do that can't be done, nothing you can sing that can't be sung, nothing you can say, but you can learn to play the game. It's easy. All you need is love, love, love is all you need. Everybody is looking for love, aren't they? I think everybody is longing to be loved for who they are. And there's something supremely empowering about love, isn't there? That somehow enables us to do almost anything. But where can we find this kind of love? That's the question, isn't it? The world agrees, and it's true. But most of all, what you really need this morning is the love of God. It may seem a strange thing to say, and we've sort of already said it, but it bears being said again, that today is actually all about celebrating what God has done. Well, if so, what has God done? Above all else we might say about him, he has loved us through giving us his son. That's what this passage teaches us. Firstly, look here, we see love seen from verses 7 to 12 there. There are lots of different ways in which we might sense that somebody loves us or likes us. Maybe that person who hangs on your sort of every word. Uh, you know, sometimes with people that we are maybe less excited about being around, they might get the sort of screensaver face. You're just about there, but not quite. But around someone you really like, there's that real interest, isn't there? Or perhaps there's that sort of bit of mimicking. But sometimes you sort of pretend to be just like them, pretend to like stuff that they're into. I'm guessing that that's the only real plausible reason that men might watch Downton Abbey, is that in a loving sort of mimicking, they might sort of do that for their partner in love. Or perhaps that's that quickness to reply to texts. We all know those sort of friends we've had a long time and some of that sort of enthusiasm burns out a little bit. But then when you meet that sort of new person or perhaps that partner that you make there's that excitement to respond quickly isn't there or just that general desire to want to make your paths cross again and again I have some friends who their first date was cave crawling and it went absolutely disastrously and in fact actually she got stuck midway through and it was really rather quite traumatic but those are the sorts of things that you'll do when you're just desperate to be around one another isn't it you'll wind up in some really rather bizarre situations how do we know then that God loves us how do we see that this passage here is all about love the word love here appears 28 times in just 15 verses beloved let us love one another for love is from God this is the headline of the response that is expected to the next few verses here beloved those who've received love let us love but what about when we don't see this look at verse 8 there with me anyone who doesn't love doesn't know God because God is love look at that diagnosis that the one who has that symptom of not loving the problem is not knowing God because God is love isn't this a strange thing to hear the world says the opposite does it not the world tends to see God as uh, not loving but judgmental at best hateful at worst can God really be considered loving when he demands worship from me, when he restricts my conduct? Because the world believes that love equals accepting someone as they are with no buts, no caveats. The fact God would place boundaries upon me or restrictions over me would seem to be not loving. 
Why? Well, because I ought to be able to express myself freely as an autonomous individual. That's what freedom equals. That's what love looks like, isn't it? And yet here we're told the one who doesn't love, the problem really is that they haven't come to know God yet. And so there's something of a warning here about being pretentious, isn't it? Because there seems to be a suggestion that there are some who are claiming to be part of the people of God and yet aren't loving. And so John is correcting that, isn't he? They actually, if you claim to be part of the people of God, the God who is love and yet are not loving, then really you're just pretentious. You're claiming to be somebody that you're not really. And we all know those sort of people who have to really overemphasize their intelligence from a sense of insecurity. Or those who always have to be the most up-to-date people, always have to be the best at something, that sort of pretentiousness that just can't bear to just be honest about who they really are. Why does not loving mean that you don't know God? Well, God is love. It's not just that God does loving things, he does, but it's that he is loving in his nature, that his whole essence, his whole being is love. And isn't that a problem in the world today, isn't it? I think that's a source of tension and confusion, isn't it? Because the world is somewhat confused around love. Well, believes that everybody deserves to be loved. Everybody deserves to be loved for who they are. And that love equals sort of unqualified affirmation. And key to that really is this idea that we're all individuals and that we all really need to be the most authentic version of ourselves we can. We, what I really need most of all to do is to be able to express my individual personality freely. And it would be harmful for me to attempt to do anything else. There's this desperate desire to be loved, isn't there? And we can agree with that and affirm that, this desire to be loved for who we are, which we all know and we all feel and we all sense, isn't it? It's natural, it's human. It's a human desire and instinct that separates us from being mere mammals. And yet, this isn't really practiced consistently in reality, is it? Because there are some people in society that our society is happy to write off. And to say that they only deserve judgment, that they only deserve cancelling, that there's really no hope of redemption for them, for their views, for their beliefs, for their behaviours, often those who are opposite to us. See, the gospel recognises actually this deep longing to be loved, but scandalously, it offers it to everyone, even those you might hold offensive views, even those who behave offensively, even those you're tempted to feel don't deserve it. But the gospel says God really does love you apart from anything you've done, in spite of some of the things you've done, and offers the chance to belong, even to those the culture might actually be okay with washing their hands of. You see, what you find most of all is, and here's where the confusion comes, that really being alive really truly living isn't about living as authentically as possible to who you think you are it actually comes from knowing and living out the love of God for us and who he made us to be and that's what we've called Hannah to this morning isn't it to who she is made to be in God and our hope over the coming months and years is to continue to point Hannah back to her identity in her baptism that no matter what else she may sense or feel or the world may ever say, first and foremost, she is a loved daughter of God. 
before and beyond anything else. Love needs defining so often, actually, doesn't it? And here, John defines love for us in the life and the work of Christ, that we see what love really looks like in Jesus. And he gives us three things here in verses 9, 10, and 11. Let's quickly notice them here. Firstly, he tells us, verse 9, that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. The love of God is seen through him sacrificing himself so that we may live. Love is evidenced in that sacrifice. Secondly, verse 10 here, in this is love, or this is what love looks like. Not that we've loved God, but that he loved us, that it's imbalanced, that he's loved before us and that he's loved more than us. He's sacrificed, it's also imbalanced on his part. And thirdly, it's atoning. Look at this, in this is love, verse 10, that he sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. What it means is the offering that would remove the anger of God towards our sin and our rebellion from him, that he's paid our debts off for us. Love is definitively found in Jesus facing the full weight of the law, the full letter of the law that we've broke to save us before we ever chose him and yet look at this no one's ever seen God but if we love one another God abides in us God is seen in our loving each other so today we've spoken over Hannah and invited her into what God has always been like and what he has always been doing and hope that in time it will come to fruition in her life love is seen is understood in God giving his son for us in him loving us before we did and more than we do and in paying off our debts for us. Secondly, what about assurance? There's a, a terribly sort of, well, maybe this is a sign of age, uh, moving to me, seen in Toy Story 2, where Jesse, the cowgirl, and Woody, the cowboy, are, are together. And Woody can't understand why Jesse is so upset and can't understand his choices. And what we come to find is that Jessie has become tough because she once knew what it was to have love and then to lose it. And then we hear this song, when somebody loved me, everything was beautiful. Every hour we spent together lives within my heart. And when she was sad, I was there to dry her tears. And when she was happy, so was I when she loved me. So the years went by, I stayed the same, but she began to drift away. I was left alone. But still I waited for the day when she'd say, I'll always love you. Jessie isn't sure whether she can ever really open herself to love again because she's known the pain of losing love and she doesn't really have the confidence to trust she can be loved again. So how can we, frail humans though we are, knowing that sense and experience in our lives too of having had love and then lost it in different ways for different reasons, how can we know and be confident and assured that God loves us? Well, there's two tests we get given here. Firstly, the presence of the Holy Spirit within you. And secondly, if you testify to the saving work of Christ, the first test here, verse 18, by this we know we abide in him and he in us because he's given us of his spirit. Our human experience in life is of exile, is of dislocation from God, isn't it? And now God's salvation is about a relocation of abiding in him and he in us. We'll see that ultimately at the end as Jesus returns and makes all things new and lives with us. He'll say, behold, I make all things new. And now my dwelling place is with humanity. And we'll see it partially now through God gifting his Holy Spirit, God's presence to be with us. How does that evidence that relationship? Well, we start to look 
a lot like God our Father too. And then we get given this second test here. Firstly, we know that God really loves us and is with us by him being with us. But secondly, verse 14 here, we've seen and testify that the Father has sent his Son to be the Savior of the world. Perhaps that might seem like a low benchmark. Shouldn't you have to do something more than simply just be able to uh, express that you know that God has sent his Son to be the Savior of the world for you? And yet, the two things here interconnect. How do you know that you have the Spirit? How do you know that you have the presence of God with you? Well, whoever confesses Jesus is the Son of God. Your ability to testify to what Jesus has done for you shows that he lives with you. And so we've come to know and believe, John tells us, that the love of God has for us. How can we come to know his love, the one who is love? Well, we are love because that's who he is. He loves us because he loves us. That's very different to our love, isn't it? We tend to love those who like us. We love those who will love us back because we want something in return. We tend to love those we like. That is, we love those who are easy to love because we want it easy. We tend to love those who are like us because we love those who look like us because we really love ourselves more than anyone else but God he was completely different he loves those who didn't love him back he loves those who were actually enemies he loves those who are not really like him at all his love is sacrificial he doesn't gain anything from it does he it's unrequainted in some ways and in some places those that is not returned to him and it's unlikely in many ways it's given to those you wouldn't think he would want to bother with and so what's the effect this well there's no fear of God walking out on us there's no fear of him giving up on us there's no fear of him letting go of us as you may have experienced with people instead verse 16 to 17 tells us that whoever abides in love abides in God and God abides in him and it's not saying what you might think it's even more encouraging than it may sound because it's not talking about your love for others evidencing that you abide in God I mean, that might be a true thing to say, but that's not the point here. The point here is actually instead that you're abiding and resting and being in the place of God's love for you. If you're always seeing yourself as in a negative light, always seeing yourself as somehow dirty, somehow shameful and broken and unlovable, you are not abiding with God because that's not how he sees you. That's not how he speaks of you. That's not how he treats you. He sees you and speaks of you and treats you so much more positively than you may dare allow yourself to. Knowing and accepting this helps us grow. Look at this, verse 17. By this is love perfected with us so that we may have confidence. There's no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. Fear shows you haven't quite got it yet. But the love of God for us is assured, firstly, in who God is, and secondly, what he's given to us, himself, his spirit. We see love seen, we see it assured, and then lastly, we see it here, compelled and commanded. There's this sort of awkward thing in new relationships sometimes, isn't there, where you're trying to work out where it's going, and you don't really know if it's the right time, perhaps, to say, I love you. Maybe is it too soon, and you don't want to jump the gun, and you certainly don't want to be the only person saying it, do you? And yet, we see here God taking up seemingly a weaker position. He's loved before us, and he's loved 
more than us. He's wound up in that position of having said, I love you, to no response. There's the classic scene in Friends where Ross tells Emily, I love you. And she just responds, thank you. How could it be that actually the living God would wind up in much the same situation that he loves before we've loved him? We love, verse 19, because he first loved us. And this will set up the command that's to come. Because we see that our love doesn't earn God's love. His love for us doesn't depend or result from our love for him. It's unwavering. Secondly, he loved us when we didn't love him. He loved us actually at a point that we were still enemies of him, when it was undeserved. We see thirdly that his love leads to our love, that our love for him is a response to his prior love for us. It's not the result of our own good work. And fourthly, lastly, you see that love for God produces love for people. His love leads us to love others as we've been loved, that there's this family resemblance that comes, this love that we then uh, respond and react with comes from a God who is love in himself. So that by looking back to God's love for you, as revealed in Jesus, in his death for you, we are transformed in our life in the world. And so Hannah is to be continually called back to her baptismal identity of God's love for her, apart from any great work she's done, apart from any decision she has made, but simply because of who God is. And so there's something very appropriate in the children of believers coming at a moment at which they cannot articulate faith because it's made even more evident to us this morning that what we're trusting in and what we're looking to is the work of God apart from any work within Hannah. We're looking to his work, to his promises. If anyone says, verse 20, I love God and hates his brother, he's a liar. For he who doesn't love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. Why is this good? Why is this good news for us? We recognize at the outset that the world is confused about love, is longing for it, but it's confused and doesn't in the end wind up expressing it. Why is this good? We recognize that we all want to feel love for who we are. We all want a world to live in that is marked by love and not hate, by unity and not division. But if love is dependent upon my desire to do so, on my patience, on my level of tolerance, or if I'm allowed to have a pass on certain people that are too different or too difficult for my liking, that there's some people that it actually is okay for me to not love, we'll never live in a world of love. It will simply never happen. But if the motivation for love is the love of God for me, that calls me to love everyone as he did, and this is commanded at all times with all people, then there is hope that we can have just that world that we're longing for. Because firstly, I will be changed by experiencing the redemptive love of God. I will be empowered as I actually know what it is to be truly loved. But secondly, we will change the world as we truly love one another as a result. This is good news for us. This commandment we have from him finally here, Whoever loves God must also love his brother. 
The love of God compels us to love others. It shapes us and it changes us and transforms us so that we will love. But he also commands us to love so that we might summarize the Christian life as simply as loving God and loving people. And there's a beautiful simplicity to it. It doesn't tell you what to do. It doesn't tell you how you will love one another. You have to go away and you have to do some work on that. What will that look like for you? What will that look like with the people that God has put you around? But the good news is that God loves you with a love that's unwavering, that's unbreakable, that's seen in the giving up of his son for you. That that same love is the grounds for my loving others. That I must love God as he has because he says so. That he actually gives us now hope that we can actually see a world that lives in love. Because when it's dependent upon my performance, it will falter quickly. But when commanded by God, there's hope. It'll really prevail. All we need is love. And all we have in God, our gracious, loving Father, is love.